Successful Minds with Patricia Barnowski-Schneider, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant people on the planet. Hear their stories and get the most important business lessons they have learned on their road to success and get exclusive advice on how to implement their success into your life and business. Successful Minds with Patricia Barnowski-Schneider is brought to you by the Strategic Advisor Board and your host, Patricia Barnowski-Schneider. Hey, hello, and welcome to Successful Minds. I'm your host, Patty Baranowski-Schneider, CEO of Christine Advisors. Today, I'm joined by the founder and CEO of Growth Stack Inc., Kevin Peterson. Now, our topic today focuses on deal-making and what they're focusing on currently. But before we jump in a little bit more about Kevin, like I said, he's the founder and CEO of Growth Stack Inc. Kevin is a marketing automation specialist with 21 years of experience working with companies like Charles Schwab and Wells Fargo and had founder shares and on assignment Inc. in New York Stock Exchange listed company ASGM. Now, Peterson's SaaS experience includes growing a file sharing platform to seven figures revenue in its first year, an award-winning music industry startup, and several portfolio brands that realized greater than 50% YOY growth since acquisition. He's also the founding member of Level Up SaaS Mastermind, Principal of Longtail Pro, Principal of Online PR Media and Co., founder of Big Hearted Men, where he volunteers to give back to the community in Northern Nevada. So thanks for joining us to get today, Kevin. Thank you so much, Patricia. It's good to be here. Thank you. Okay, so why don't you give us a quick rundown of what people can learn from Hubstack Inc. And I am highlighting the Inc. because HubSpot also uses the term Hubstack, and I didn't want to cause any confusion. Yeah, that's yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. Our brand was uh, was in market before they started using it, but then uh, once I <laughs> I saw um, saw them start using it, it, it didn't. It actually didn't bother me, and it actually kind of bolsters the yeah. the message, which is that um, you know the the brand came to be around that idea of um, you know building building your tech stack in a way that helps you grow your company. So, right. um, and that's a, that's an important piece. Uh, yeah. Growth stack is focused on B2B SaaS, software as a service, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and the space has matured enough that there's a little bit of uh, SaaS backlash now in the marketplace, right? Where people are like, wow, I'm still paying that subscription from five years ago. <laughs> right. I don't even use that software anymore, right? It's kind of like a gym membership. For sure. They actually you have keep apps paying for and you're like, oh. <laughs> I, Exactly. They have apps for that now. Your SaaS stack. <laughs> yeah. but, um, but when done right, you can have a tech stack mm-hmm. or a SaaS stack that helps you grow your company. So it just helps you. So that's what we're focused on. We're focused on... Um, you know, tools and platforms that help you with uh, any any kind of kind of any level or any pain point in your in your company or operations awesome. that you can automate and free up your time and do things more efficiently and grow. So that's how the growth stack name came to be, and I and I'm kind of okay with. Uh, awesome. So seeing how you're involved with deal making in the SaaS technology world, can you tell us a bit about your deal making process? Like what intrigues you? What do you look for? And how do you navigate the process? And also given your immense success in the past, like one company you purchased returned between 50% and 150% per year. Another one you purchased for um, US 60K and had 100% net returns on assets in less than nine months. And another you purchased and took it from concept to six-figure MMR, monthly recurring revenue within 12 months before exiting, maybe share what a company can do to get on your radar. Like, what do you look for and how you're not about to come in and take over, which is what some people think, but rather Mm. how you partner with them to make this a win-win for all involved. 
Yeah, so that's a great question. A lot of the examples that you shared were sort of the tester pancakes, if you will, where, you know, they're micro assets early on. So think acquisition size, like you mentioned, one of them was $60,000. So acquisition size between 50K to, you know, um, 300K. And then eventually, um, you know, we, we, well, we've been stair-stepping the market now for eight years. So we were starting out in the micro space and then we moved up to another level of micro, which is kind of that 250,000 million dollar acquisition size range. And then from there, we, you know, we took steps up beyond a million. And then now um, our thesis today is that we buy cash flowing B2B SaaS that are producing one and a half million to seven and a half million net income at time of acquisition. So acquisition size range is like maybe 15 million is the minimum now, but where our sweet spot today is in that kind of 25 million to 150 million range. Okay. Um, and it's a process. So what I can share with your audience is that it's a process. It's um, mm-hmm. I have had people come to me recently and say, hey, I want to do what you do. Like, how do I get to the $100 million <laughs> deals? And it's like, well, first you have to do a $100,000 deal. And you have to steps. do a $1 million deal. Yeah. <laughs> you need to, to go through that process and the learning curve and, um, and, you know, and go through some negotiations at every level and, mm-hmm. and understand better. Um, what makes a good deal and not only what makes a good deal, but what makes a good deal for you because right. each person has their own unique skill set and their, their unique experiences to draw from. Right. So what makes a great deal for one person is not necessarily a great deal for me and vice versa. Right. Um, and that actually, that question comes up a lot um, where sure. investors <laughs> ask me, they're like, Hey, tell me about your deal. Like, if I invest with you, how do I know you're going to continue to find good deals? Right. And my answer is, well, a good deal for me is, is not necessarily a good deal for somebody else. So yeah. first to find, define the term <laughs> good deal. And I think yeah. that's what you were asking me a minute ago. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is uh, it's, there's um, not as much competition in the marketplace as you might imagine, because uh, for two parties to be competing on the same deal, right. the deal has to be right for both parties. Right. And they both have to be looking at the numbers the same way and thinking about the economics the same way and making the, an, an offer in the same way. Right. Mm-hmm. right. And they both have to be they both have to have liquidity at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen deals where I'm like, oh, wow, that's a good deal, but it's not the right time. Right. right. That's not if, if I had seen that three months ago, we would be interested. Or if I saw it three months from now, I might be interested. But today. Mm-hmm. It's we're we don't have the bandwidth to even think about it, right? right. Yeah. So, um, and I've heard from investors who have said, "Oh, wow! If you brought me this deal two weeks earlier, I would be in." But we yeah, just deployed on another project, yeah. Right. Or we we need to wait for this other thing to exit before we'll be liquid again. So, right. so timing is a critical piece after everything else. Right. Um, but getting back to your first question, which is what makes a good deal for us. Um, what I've learned from operating at every level of the marketplace in in the last eight years is that what makes a good deal for me today is a defensible model. So, and some people call it moat, right? Like, what is the, you know, how how is this business unique in the marketplace? Mm-hmm. And I learned that the hard way, mm-hmm. just, you know, full transparency, um, what I learned is so, you know, my background is marketing. And so um, when I started Growth Stack, the early deals that I gravitated to 
tended to be ad tech and martech. Mm-hmm. And that's just based on my background. Like it was very easy for me to, to assess the business and understand what they do and understand why customers would pay for it. Um, but the challenge in ad tech and martech is that generally speaking, the, the business models are very easy to knock off. Mm-hmm. So as soon as a new ad tech platform has traction in the marketplace, almost immediately you have cheap <laughs> knockoffs from around the right. world, right? right? There are places in the world where, um, you know, the average wage is $500 a month US right. and some highly educated and skilled developers can afford to take a competing product to market mm-hmm. for very little investment. Right. right. And even if they only, you know, if if their product, if their if their competing product only offers ten or fifteen percent of the functionality, but they can offer ten percent of the price, yeah, they're going to get market share. Of course, and that's and that's okay. But um, but it's it's a challenge for ad tech and martech platforms, right. um, to stay relevant in a marketplace where they start getting. Their their customer base gets eroded by competitors right. quickly. Mm-hmm. So what is most important to me today is uh, a, a business that we're looking at acquiring has to have a high barrier to entry, and that and it's not just money. It could be um, it could be technology or expertise, right? Right. Like this founder is uniquely qualified to start that business and run it, and it's not going to be easy for somebody without his his or her. Uh, you know, 20 years experience in that space right. and um, and the connections that that founder has. Uh, it's not going to be easy for someone who doesn't have that level of um, visibility in the marketplace to just start a competing product and run. Right. right? No, 100%. So, so that's what makes a good deal for me today. It's uh, I mean, there are ind- there are verticals that we look at where we, we're technically vertical agnostic, but there are some verticals that we favor. Okay. But generally speaking, what at the end of the day, it's like, is is this business, is this business going to be viable 10 years from now, just like it is today? Right. Or is it going to be completely eroded by um, cheap competition, for yeah. lack of a yeah. you know, nicer term? <clears throat> okay, cool. Okay, so tell us a little bit about um, supply chain tech. Like, what is it and how does this suit you and growth stack? Yeah, so there's a few verticals uh, that are interesting to us, and supply chain is the most interesting today. and And it's kind of funny because um, we uh, became connected to some founders in the supply chain specs uh, tech space uh, in a way before it was cool, <laughs> and, and that was and that wasn't very long ago. Okay. Like a year ago, there wasn't there probably wasn't that much visibility on supply chain tech, but okay. um, but then I think. Most people have awareness that, and in the, there's been you know major media coverage of supply chain problems worldwide this year. Right. So supply chain issues have been have been you know front and center throughout most of 2022. Yeah. And okay. so um, since then, I've seen white papers talking about how supply chain is favorable for a lot of PEs and VCs now. Like it's it's become sexy. <laughs> yeah. So. Which is funny. So um, because it's <laughs> and of all like the things, supply- yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. Because supply chain, in a lot of ways, is old school. Um, it's an old school industry, 
that is just super ripe for tech adoption. So you think, how does a product get like just thinking about like agriculture as an example? How does how does a product get from farm to table? Mm-hmm. And how does it not um, rot before yeah. it's consumed? Right? right. As an example. Right. Um, and uh, and then pharmaceuticals, you know, that became that's part of the reason or one of the reasons supply chain um, became popular this year. Right. Was uh, how do you move pharmaceuticals around like vaccines, for instance, yeah. that need to be temperature controlled or other uh, other pharmaceutical pharmaceuticals that need to be temperature controlled. Right. Um, so there's that. And then there's uh, electronics and um, and. Uh, there's been a lot of attention around microchips. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's been a shortage and that's not only, you know, supply side, but it's also distribution. So mm-hmm. there suddenly there's been a lot of, yeah, and rightfully so, there's been a lot of scrutiny and a lot of questions asked this year, just this year, like in 2022, all of a sudden <laughs> people started saying, well, wait a minute. <laughs> How does that product get to my house or to my business? Yeah, they. Like I never, really, I didn't really before. think about it. Before. <laughs> yeah, it used to just magically show up, right? Like, yeah. You know, the the adage, of course, today is, uh, oh, you just go on Amazon. It's on your doorstep, <laughs> like an hour later. Like yeah, you, exactly. before you even click uh, purchase, there's a knock on your door and it's there. And you're like, how did they do that? And so, and that's that's uh, you know, I'm being a little silly, but yeah, um, but, that but that's how people think. <laughs> exactly, yeah. We're we're at a time in in human evolution where people do expect instant gratification because they can get it. Yeah. And so when all of a sudden people are like, "Well, I can't buy a car because there's no microchips." Wait, what? <laughs> I don't understand. Like, why? Yeah. Like, why are used cars, you know, up? 130 percent year on year in yeah. terms of price right why did why is it so expensive to buy a used car now right yeah, pe- yeah people don't yes. realize it my son had an issue with his car and apparently i mean if anything COVID has taught us the chip that they needed comes from overseas and nothing was being sent from there he had no car yeah. for like almost a year and yes. people just don't realize that it, it that's just the nature of the game i mean yeah, there's a lot of people yeah. involved yeah yes wow yeah, I can't explain the toilet paper shortage. That's another issue. <laughs> yeah, well. We're not going to solve that one. <laughs> or at least I'm not. Pick and choose our battles. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But supply chain. So just getting back to that. Yeah. So supply chain is, um, is uh, it's kind of funny to call it an industry, but kind of an industry or process yeah, that right. is just ripe for tech adoption. And I think, I think even if you want to get um, kind of geeky and macro level, I think even as a species, all of a sudden people are realizing that, wow, we could actually do better. How we move products around, we can do better. We can be yeah. more efficient. We can solve distribution issues and, right. and, um, and even, uh, you know, just, um, I mean, if you want to go deep on it, it's also just solving some, some humanitarian issues, right? Like what if, what if better distribution m- means that um, we're not losing 30% of our crops that are grown worldwide to spoilage, mm-hmm. right? It just takes that one person to think outside the box and that's how we change. Yeah. Exactly. And so fortunately right now, there are a lot of people thinking outside of the box on this and it's in a very positive way. And there is a lot of new technology coming to market on, in, in the supply chain. Okay. Um, and so we just happen to be, we happen to be in the right space at the right time. There's a Perfect. supply yeah, chain said. company that I kind of fall in love with. And, okay. um, and so we're working on that acquisition now Nice. and, uh, yeah, it's kind of right place, right time for us, but it's also just a really, really smart product. 
Perfect. Nice. Um, okay, so tell us a little bit about supply chain tech. Now, in the new world of scammers and hackers, I know this is a hot topic these days. So tell us a bit about it and how, again, does this fit in with growth, growth stack? Yeah, so you had, you just said supply chain again, but I, I think yeah. you meant security. <laughs> I have supply security, sorry. Yeah, supply yeah that's security. a good, yeah. yeah <laughs> so yeah, so uh, yeah, this other vertical we're interested in is... Um, is security tech so and it's all kinds of security techs it's not just like cybersecurity. how do you okay. keep um servers from being hacked and how do you right. keep you know people's data safe mm-hmm. uh certainly um and, and this is kind of a funny time to be talking about um uh blockchain technology okay but um but that's a real thing like a lot of people that they, they just think of you know oh blockchain and uh, it's bitcoin right <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> Not exactly. More than that, yeah. There actually is technology behind the <laughs> currency. It's not, it's in fact, the currency piece is kind of the fluff, right? It's the popular fluff, but yeah. the uh, but behind the scenes, the underlying technology is very real and has a lot of very practical applications that are going to make uh, life on Earth easier, right? Or And better. Right. Um, so, so, yeah, getting the security tech, um, Certainly blockchain is a piece of that. Like how do you how do you tokenize a data set um, in a way that's secure and not hackable and has a practical application? So there's there's obviously a ton of attention on that right now. Um, And then there are other uh, security tech um, products that Mm -hmm. are that, you know, are everything from biometrics like facial recognition um to um you know monitoring you know heart rate and and other other things that uh, like you know you get into like it's not just fitbit but think like fitbit for security right (laughs) Right. that's awesome i mean you need it nowadays i mean even everything my phone every app on it facial recognition because people steal phones constantly so sure yeah and i need this that's right awesome yep yeah there's a um, i don't know if i can even talk about it (laughs) <laughs> There's a business that I just I just met a founder recently that has a fascinating facial res- recognition product um, that secures uh, um, like motorized vehicles, but like not your car, but wow. like other other motorized vehicles. Like if you want to keep it from getting stolen. That's There's just a simple, cool. you just have a simple camera on there and it's either it's you or it's not. And if it's not you, you can't start it. That's amazing. Like I have a friend who has a motorcycle and it, you know, it's very expensive. The pieces to it are very expensive and he could park it for one minute to go to a store, come back out and it's either gone or pieces are gone. So stuff yeah, like that would exactly. be awesome. Yeah. And yep. That's actually cool. So, yeah. So again, a lot of people thinking about those types of products and taking that technology to market. So that's an interesting space for us. Nice. And we're actually working on a roll up there as well right now. There, we've got three products that we can sort of bolt together. Nice. That are where each of those products are very different, but okay. um, but it, but yeah, complementary, yeah, synergistic. Nice. Okay. Um, and for specifically for security, so and and those products are going to be more for like think about like um, crowd security, so like right. concerts and ball okay. games and any places where people gather in large numbers. Right. Um, we can improve security of those events with wow. just by putting together a few pieces of technology that are already available. That's awesome. So, Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, okay, so tell us a little bit about supply property tech. Now, I know this is kind of a new hotspot, at least for me anyway. So tell us a little bit more about it and what you see as the future of property tech. 
Yeah. So um, the easiest way to kind of frame that is think Zillow, right? Zillow is probably the early adopt, like the early tech in the and the um, and the most well recognized. That's obviously a recognized brand, a household name, right? Zillow. Uh -huh, right. People know, oh, Zillow. Yeah, you go on there to see how much I go on there to see how much my neighbor's house is worth. People do it, but yeah. Oh, I just met my friend so and so at a luncheon, and I wonder what their house is worth. <laughs> um, so, uh, or they just bought a new house. I wonder how much they paid, right? Right. Um, so curiosity gets the best of us, and that's that. That's the use case for Zillow. But um, there are other property tech products. Mm -hmm that um help make everything about you know property ownership and management more efficient okay. and more streamlined so think about products that help investors find better investments in the marketplace right. um without zillow actually buying their own inventory right. <laughs> that's another story <laughs> entirely but uh yeah so friendly property tech where yeah uh the the platform is providing intelligence to the marketplace um, and then other pieces of that relationship. So somebody buys it, like, let's, let's just play this out. Like somebody is looking to buy a multifamily property as an investment. Right. So they, there are tools that will help them find, you know, a good value Okay. or again, something that's right for their thesis, right? The mm -hmm. right property for them. Then once they're in, um, there are now property tech tools that will help them manage that property. And it's everything from streamlining how utilities mm -hmm. are tracked and built to tenants or how it's, um, you know, making it more efficient for both the owner and the renter. Right. So there's just, there's a lot of, again, it's just another space that's, you know, as old as uh, money. Yeah, right? people need and, it, but they don't realize like what's all involved. So this exactly, kind of helps it be so much more yeah. efficient. Yeah. yeah, and then getting and then taking this full circle to the blockchain application, you know, there's there should be blockchain applied to every aspect of real estate um, yeah. transactions. Like, there's no there's no reason anymore. And I'm I'm sorry if any of your listeners are work for a title company or <laughs> title managers, but. I mean, really, there's no reason to have to pay a title company anymore right. to do research on the title history on a property that may be wrong 15% of the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If it's blockchain, that that token follows that property forever. Yeah. And it and all of the transactional history is mm -hmm. built into the blockchain. Wow. So it that's just one example, but um the whole idea, like we just just taking it full circle again. So at GrowStack, we're all about finding things that help um, industries act more efficiently right. and um, and grow in a in a smarter way. So no, this is great. I mean, it's basically how everything evolves. You know, you you some things evolve, but not necessarily for the better. But this definitely is putting people in the better direction of how to function as a business. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Yeah, and that's what excites me, right? I mean, yeah. well, I'll just share. So the the thing that I love about my job more than anything else is I get to meet super smart founders from around the world every day. Right. Oh, and nice. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And, and what excites me is when I meet a super savvy founder who says, Hey, you know, I, this is my background experience. And I noticed this one problem in this one marketplace or with, with this one process. Mm -hmm. And I started investigating and I figured out we can do a lot better. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I built a product for that. 
So here we are, right? So I love yeah. that. I love hearing those stories. I love I love meeting people that had that spark of inspiration and yeah. that, that vision and innovation. Right. And they were willing to step up to the plate and say, you know what? I'm going to fix this. Somebody yeah. needs to fix it. It's going to be me. Yeah. I so, mean, I'm constantly thinking of all these different things. I'm like, wow, you know what? It, but of course, it's always me like, why is nobody doing anything about this? Of course, you know, but if you have somebody who technically can do something about it, yes. you know, that's awesome. But yeah. Yeah. So I'll share, I'll share another piece of this puzzle, which is um, when I started Growstack, I, I made a paradigm shift in my thinking from build to buy. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I was kind of born an entrepreneur. Right. It's in my blood. Like I've, I've had years of therapy to try to, to shake it, but I can't, <laughs> right? Like I get it. I I think like, it's just like you were saying, right? Where I see things or all the time where I'm like, oh, wow, what if we did this? Or yeah. what if that product was like that? Or what right. if we put those two products together? Whatever. <laughs> but what I learned, the, the epiphany I had eight years ago is that buying actually is better than building. Because building something from scratch is really, really hard, right? (laughs) You have first you have to have the idea and you have to have the idea at the right time. And then you have to be able to actually build it and take it to market. Mm -hmm. And again, product market fit is everything and timing is critical. Mm -hmm. And then you have to have the capital to actually realize the vision. Right. Um, most businesses as we know uh, run out of money before their their product ever becomes viable. Right. Um, and so so I finally had that paradigm shift in my mind where I'm like, well, why, why, why take things to market when there are smart people around the world doing that all the time? Um, I would rather meet with the people that are getting traction in the marketplace and, um, and help them to either uh, fundraise or exit or grow their business. Yeah. I mean, we all play a role in the big picture. So, you know, you need this person who can help fund it. You need the person who's going to do the mechanical part. Yeah. We all play a big role, but that's actually, I mean, it's funny when you say you've been born to do this, I was reading how you, you know, started investing at nine years old. I'm like, everybody's playing Mm -hmm. basketball, baseball, but you're already (laughs) business oriented. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. I was kind of a nerdy kid. Yeah, it's all right. And I literally did read the business. Yeah, I literally did read the business news every morning and and look at the stock tickers. And this was pre-internet. So uh, you know, all of my yeah, all my stock data was on a one-day delay. (laughs) And then if I wanted any like quarterly or annual reports, I had to call I called my dad's office. He had a broker that worked in his office who I called Uncle Marky. So Um, so my dad said, Hey, anytime you need a quarterly or annual report or whatever, any research done, or if you need to place a trade, just call Uncle Marky. So there were times <laughs> I'd call Uncle Marky and I'd be like, Hey, I, I kind of <laughs> like this one company. Can you get me a quarterly report? Nice. And then he would have to call investor relations and order it. And then it would show up in my mailbox like, two weeks later. <laughs> later yeah. <laughs> yeah. So again, okay, getting back to that instant yeah. gratification. <laughs> yeah. Kids these days, they don't know how well, they have no like idea. a nine-year-old today who wants to invest. It's easy. You just, you know, yeah, you can click, click on your phone. Yeah, click the <laughs> button. That's it. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Oh, crazy. All right. But now back to business. So tell us a little bit about HR SaaS. Now that's a hot topic. I see this in the news all the time. So what about that entices you? I mean, just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, same. So it's a, it, the, you're you're going to see a theme forming here where, um, again, HR, the whole world of HR can be more efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, blockchain can be applied to HR as well. So think yeah. about, and this is going to sound a little creepy and big brother, I'm so sorry <laughs> in advance, but um, like your 
career can be tokenized so that instead of just having a resume that where you're like, oh man, I want to change jobs, but I haven't right. updated my resume in eight years. Yeah. What am I going to put on it? What's relevant? <laughs> and, um, and, you know, any um, career counselor will tell you that you should have a different version of your resume for everybody you meet, right? right? That it should be tailored. Every time you send it out, you should tailor it for that job or that right. person. Mm-hmm. And and it's hard. People they don't like to do it because it it just feels uncomfortable. It's like oh man, I'm talking about you know a lot of people are like I, I don't feel comfortable talking about myself and yeah like finding that balance between sharing um, relevant information and just patting my own back like it's yeah. hard yeah. And so if it's tokenized and um, such that your your work history and your pay history. Um, and your skills and certifications are all, you know, being are are, are transferred from one party to another in a much easier mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. That's a win. Yeah. It just it helps employers and employees to connect better. Right. So so that's interesting to me. And we are working on uh, an HR trend, HR SaaS transaction now. Nice. Well, it's definitely an interesting world we're living in. <laughs> yeah, um, it is. Yeah, it's funny technology. You know, they, they talk about how like technology doubles. I can't remember the the person who um, contemplated this or had this as as his thesis, but he was talking about how you know it it took ten thousand years for technology to double, and then it was five thousand years, and it was twenty five hundred years, and so on. <laughs> and now it's like every three days. Yeah, or I was going to say like every week there's something new. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we're we're in an interesting time. Yeah. Um, both in business and in just human evolution, where um, it's just staggering to think about how far we've come in a hundred years and and how far we've come in even in the last ten years, and yeah. so it makes it hard to imagine what the next you know the next hundred years are going to be like. But it's there's yeah. it's pretty phenomenal. I so. know. I feel like my parents were there when I was a kid, you know. But people That's ask right. me like on interviews, like you know, what was it like when you started? You know, not even to age myself, but it's like. Wow. You know, I mean, you just think yeah. of like 35 years ago, like, like, whoa. And, and, I mean, it's just made life so much easier. So, you know, that's, yeah. that's yes. good for everybody else who has no clue, like going to school and going to the library, pulling out books to study. <laughs> and it's yeah. outdated yeah. stuff anyway. So, yeah. Yeah, no yeah. Or I've seen even re- just within the last week, I saw a form, I, I was filling out a form and asked for my facsimile number. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of your audience are what that is. Hey, I have to know what it is. I have to Google it. I'm like, what is this now? You know, it's a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So how about now you tell us a little bit about Long Tail Pro? Now I understand Meriwether Group Capital Hero Funds um financed a long to growth stack for this endeavor. Now, seeing your successes so far on all of your ventures, I have no doubt that this will be a successful partnership for everyone involved. Because it's not every day a company can say that their thesis is that they can identify, acquire, and grow B two B SaaS businesses producing 1.5 million to 7.5 million EBITDA at time of acquisition. Now your successes so far have proven your capabilities of achieving just that and then some. So tell us a little bit about Longtail Pro. Like what exactly is it? Yeah, so it's one of our legacy brands. We have owned it for three years now, almost to the day. Um, It is the longest running keyword research tool on the market. So anyone who does online marketing or which is practically everyone now, but um, in different roles, right? So Mm -hmm. anyone that is uh, in the hot seat for doing digital marketing and (laughs) SEO, um, it's it's one of the players in the space that uh, that has, you know, very good um, SEO data. 
okay. that, that you can access. So for anyone planning like a pay-per-click campaign or they're planning their content strategy, you know, Longtail Pro is one of the one of the key players in the space. Um, and what makes it different is that it does focus, as, as the name suggests, right? The, it focuses on the long tail keyword. So right. long, long phrases where you can easily identify um, phrases in that your competitors might not be bidding for, but mm-hmm. are highly valued. So okay. effectively, you can you can optimize your ad spend and optimize your content strategy yeah. such that you start ranking higher on all the search engines nice. um, at a lower cost. Nice. And it is better to have long because it's kind of hard. Like even if you just did a generic term marketing, mm-hmm. there's so many different parts of marketing that just one little word sure. isn't getting everything, you know, it doesn't get the message out there. So yeah, that's actually yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's a business we've been running now for about three years. Um, it is a legacy brand in, in the okay. sense that it, um, it's below our one one and a half million EBITDA uh, minimum for okay. acquisitions today, okay. but it's a brand that uh, that we intend on keeping and growing just because it's still so highly relevant in the marketplace. Right. Nice, and um, and we can we still use it for our other brands, and we'll continue to do so. So for at least the next uh, year or two, um, we'll continue running it and growing it. Nice. Okay, now what's one big takeaway you want the listeners to get from this episode? Hmm, that's a great question. So, um, you know, the the place to start, really, if you're thinking about, um, you know, buying businesses versus building businesses mm-hmm. is uh, you know, the most critical first step is just defining your thesis, right? Defining your what makes a good business for you. And nobody else can answer that for you. Right. Right. There's some people that are going to be like, you know, I, I love dogs. So I want to run a business that has to do with dogs or whatever, yeah, right? No, it's everything. And so, yeah. yes. And so, um, and then, so it's not only what, um, what kinds of businesses might motivate you, mm-hmm. but the other piece is then how are you going to capitalize it? Right. So are you, do you have money out of pocket? Um, are you willing to take out an SBA loan or a home equity line or something to launch it? Right. Um, are you going to ask friends and family for, for funding to, to launch, um, you know, whatever, you know, the, whatever the metrics are, right. it's important to, to figure that out. And then what I've learned myself over the past eight years is that, you know, the big private equity companies and VC companies, they don't deviate from their thesis ever because when they do bad things happen so right or wrong once they've said yeah this is our mission statement and Mm -hmm. this is what we look for that's it either something is a match or it's not yeah um and that's how you keep from losing money because you know and and regardless of the level um of you know in terms of the size of the company you're looking at either buying or launching right um it's super important to make sure that you're doing something that you are going to feel good about doing right. and the economics make sense. And, uh, and a lot of what I'm saying, it's, it's, it's easier said than done. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say that, <laughs> but it's important. But if you've got it, yeah, if you've got a good definition before you start, it, it's going to save you a lot of grief. Nice. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, so tell us how can listeners connect with you? So um, <clears throat> I'm famous for not answering my phone pretty much ever. <laughs> 
but LinkedIn, <laughs> LinkedIn for sure. Um, and uh, I'm assuming you can drop these into uh, into the chat or something somewhere. Okay. Um, feel free to share my LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, and um, email, of course, Kevin at growthstackinc.com. Okay. Um, that's the easiest way to start. Okay. Um, my Calendly link is in my email signature. So if anyone reaches out and you want to have a chat, I'm happy to have a chat. And, I'll include uh, and that in the time end. on my, yeah. It's all okay, good. perfect. Nice. So, yeah. And then, sorry, uh, uh, I'll just share one more thing. So I am sure. running a mastermind for SaaS founders and investors. Oh, okay. So anyone interested specifically in the SaaS space, do mm-hmm. connect with me because um, I can help. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. I'll include, um, I'll include uh, info on all of that, uh, you know, on this podcast. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Oh. Well, thank you again for being on the show. And again, everyone, that was Kevin Peterson, founder and CEO of GrowthStack, Inc., leading provider of software and services to a select group of public and private sector markets. So thanks for listening for Successful Minds with Patty B. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the show. And I'll post the link in the end. And again, this podcast, I'll send the link for it, but it'll also be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to Successful Minds with your host, Patricia Barnowski-Schneider. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates, and we'll see you on the next episode.